The views, opinions, and comments expressed by hosts, guests, and callers of this show are not necessarily those of this station, its parent company, TeleSouth Media, its staff, management, or advertisers. Content of this broadcast cannot be duplicated or used in any way without the express written consent of TeleSouth Media Incorporated. Now, join us for Advisors Roundtable with your hosts, certified financial planners, Greg Cooley and Bubba Labus. It's professional advice for your life. Welcome to the Advisors Roundtable. Certified financial planners, Greg Cooley and Bubba Labus with you here on Super Talk Radio. Thanks a lot for listening. We appreciate all of our sponsors. Couldn't be here without you. So, Bubba, when you were a kid, did you read the Brothers Grimm? Do you remember the Brothers Grimm, any of those uh, stories? I remember the stories, but I don't think I ever got into those books. All right, so like uh, Hansel and Gretel. Yeah. You know who Hansel and Mm -hmm. Gretel were? Or just kind yeah. of recall a little bit mm-hmm. of that. And so the, today I, I want to talk about Hansel and Gretel and their mom and dad and how their estate plan went awry. Okay. okay? So here's what happened. There, there was a man and a woman that had these two children, a little boy and a little girl. The woman died. And because they didn't really have a good plan, the dad married a younger woman. Mm-hmm. So there's a stepmom now yeah. in, in, interjected into yeah. the story. And she didn't like the kids. So she wanted to get rid of the kids. And then this great famine came. So her plan was, hey, dude, uh, Bubba, why don't you take these two kids out in the middle of the forest and just mm-hmm. leave them? Yeah. Maybe they'll learn how to get by on their own. Yeah. Or maybe somebody else will come by and pick them up. But we can't afford to take care yeah. of them. Which is a lot better than the movie Flowers in the Attic when the old lady's trying to kill them with arsenic cookies, right? <laughs> exactly. Now, yeah. those people who are li- those people who are listening <laughs> yeah. to us now, I promise we're not anti-children, right? right. We're actually going to end this show where we're, we're absolutely positive about children. But these people didn't have a good plan, okay? And the only people who were only person who was really thinking about the future was the person who was an idiot trying to kill the, or get rid mm-hmm. of the children. Now they did this one time, but ha- uh, Hansel, the boy, he heard this. He heard him uh, coming up with the story, so he he sneaks outside, and he gets this this big wad of of little gravel, white white rocks, mm-hmm. and and he and he and, and he carries with it. And sure enough, the next morning, Dad comes and makes up the story. Hey, Hansel, Gretel, get your stuff. We have to go for a trip. And he takes them out in the middle of the woods, and he leaves them. Well, what what had Hansel done? He had dropped these stones along, mm-hmm. and he knew how to get back home. So next morning or that night when the moonlight was shining on these white rocks. And I'm, I'm going mm-hmm. through the whole story here, right. but I'm going to stop in a second. The moonlight was shining on the white rocks. They were able to get back home. Now, who's mad? The stepmom. Oh, of course. Well, she had just gotten rid of them and had mm-hmm. one night yep. without these kids. And then the next morning they mm-hmm. show back up again. So she tells them, you're going to take them out and they're going to stay this time. Mm-hmm. Well, this time... Uh, Gretel thinks that she needs to be part of it, and they're not going to allow them to get outside to the gravel anymore. So what does she do? She sneaks in and gets uh, some uh, loaves of bread or some pieces, slices of bread, and makes them up into little chunks. And so Mm -hmm. she, along the way, after Dad's taking them out into the, the forest, drops those pieces of bread. Now what happens? The bread's eaten, Mm -hmm. right? They don't have a way to get back home. Now, they, they find this house made out of gingerbread, and they're so hungry. So they start eating the roof, mm-hmm. and an old woman comes out. She turns out to be a witch. Mm-hmm. Now, 
I'm going to leave the rest of the story. So, so yeah. for people who do not remember don't that story, the I don't want to yeah. ruin the ending. Now, what was wrong here? The first mom and dad, the biological parents mm-hmm. of these kids didn't have a plan. Okay. Today, we have with us uh, a director of a trust department and an attorney that does estate planning, and Rosevere with uh, Dunham Estate and Dunham Trust Company. Thanks a lot for being with us, Anne. And we're going to ask you, what should mom and dad have done? Huh? Get us through Hansel and Gretel so we feel better about this. Oh, thank you so much, Greg and Bubba, for having me here in Corinth. Uh, I'm just delighted to be in your town and in your state, uh, coming back out from the West to talk about uh, the Hansels and Gretels of the world. Exactly. Right, right. And, and how, how mamas and daddies, I guess, and new mamas can really uh, do some good planning. Mm-hmm. What should dad and mom have done? Yeah, right? the original biologi- right, biological yeah. parents. So uh, the word on the street, of course, is that we all pass away someday. Did yeah. you know that? Yeah. Well, the two things you tell me, I'm <laughs> except not Except for Elvis, right? Yeah. Uh, except, except for Elvis. For Elvis. Yeah, he's still in the building. Yes, right? thank you. Right. Thank you very right. much. Right. <laughs> so, no, truly, what mom and dad should have done is when they have that in the back of their mind, and it doesn't need to ruin your day, mm-hmm. they need to take a look at each other and say, we brought these little ones into this world, right? Mm-hmm. And we have a good, strong foundation, and we're both looking at each other right now, but what could happen? Mm-hmm. What could happen? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can be as simple as the communication between them and the people they trust, like your firm, like our firm, making a decision to say, if one of us goes, what do we do next? Mm-hmm. And it's okay to say that dad might have a new love in his life, right. but that doesn't mean that the kids are out the door. Uh-huh. So what happens there is they look at something like a trust. And Dunham Trust Company, of course, we live and breathe in this world. Mm -hmm. And we help people come forward and say, if I have to plan things so that I know when I go to bed at night, if something happens the next day, all the wheels won't fall off, what is the vehicle I drive? And the vehicle you drive in every state of this nation is initially a revocable living trust. Where both mom and dad have all the control they need they make a plan together. They decide together that if one of them passes away, how much of that is protected for the family? Mm-hmm. If they still have another life with a new love, how much does that new love get and how much do those kids get? Mm-hmm. Right? Can dad or mom, whoever survives, do things to change it all? Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Or do they have to give a commitment to that foundational family? And the trust is the instruction book. The trust is where... Every one of us, I don't care what assets you have, if you have yourself, if you have children, if you have a spouse, that trust can be that instruction booklet that keeps everything running so we don't end up in a witch's house. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'll tell you, uh, those people I know who are scrambling, driving down the road, trying to go to Wikipedia, Hansel and Gretel. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I hope they do to try to see what happens at the end of the story. But the witch's house... Is a is a bad place. the The wilderness, the forest, is a bad place. Psychologically, for the children, it's a bad place. The guilt that dad feels is a bad thing. We're talking about trying to rid you of all these bad feelings and experiences, right? Absolutely. And and really, the way you do that is you take a good, realistic look at yourself. 
every single one of us, we all have a commonplace problem, which is if I brought this family into the world, how do I make sure that when I leave it, they're okay? All right, so every what we're going to do, we're, we're going to go into a break, and we're going to come back with that thought. If I leave it, what do I do? With Ann Rosevere with the Dunham Trust Company on the... Welcome back to the Advisors Roundtable, Certified Financial Planners, Bubba Labus, and yours truly, Greg Cooley, with you right here at the Advisors Roundtable with Ann Rosevere from the Dunham Trust Company. So we're talking about Hansel and Gretel, what mom and dad did or did not do, uh, did not do mostly, and also how we fix it. What are the things that the average family needs to be thinking about having in their estate plan, especially related to this revocable living trust is that what you were talking about that's right explain it to me sure sure so greg what we hear historically is the words that can kind of roll off everyone's uh tongue is do you have a will do you have a will do you have a will Mm -hmm. right and Mm -hmm. and we all know that we've heard Mm -hmm. it we've seen it read on television and in movies where you know, someone reads a will and then everyone gets mad. And, and that's, that's the Hollywood of, of estate planning, <laughs> right. right? Or someone gets shot. You never know what happens. <laughs> right. but, but where it really starts for anyone, for any of your listeners, is to, to pause and to take that moment. And it's good if they've asked the question, do I have a will? Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about anyone who has collected anything, a home, a few vehicles, maybe a little bit of a nest egg, maybe a retirement plan. This is not necessarily the Rockefellers. This is every one of us. So you start with the idea of, do I have a will? But then if you go and you talk to your financial advisor, your attorney, your CPA, ask them the question, what's this trust thing and why is it better than a will? Okay. And there are people in this this country who I talk to who they say they're just fine with a will. I disagree. Mm. We've taken the concept of a trust, that Rockefeller thing that used to keep huge amounts of legacy money in this country, and through the power of all of us working together, we've brought the trust, the trust that you know holds foundations and holds Carnegie things in, and people Carnegie, like that. Carnegie, exactly, right. and Rockefeller and Getty and things like that, mm-hmm. and we've taken that to a place where it's available and affordable to all of us, mm-hmm. and. The example there when they say, I've heard about a will, but why a trust? Is that a trust is a little tiny company you build for your family. And sometimes it's just as many pages as a will and just as much money to put in place. But that little tiny company does a few things. You put your house in it. You put maybe some of your investment accounts in it, Mm -hmm. right? It automatically has your personal property, the forks, the spoons, the knives in it. Mm -hmm. And the difference between that trust is that let's just say it's a married couple what happens is they hold everything they own in that basket mm-hmm. and then if one of them passes away that basket's still there that little company's still there and the other mm-hmm. just keeps acting mm-hmm. you don't go to court mm-hmm. right you don't have to go and have things recorded somewhere it's private mm-hmm. and you can change it and control it and as you and your life changes it can change with you now, what happens when both of you pass away? Okay. Okay. That plan, mm-hmm. right? That plan, and to your analogy or to your to your story, that plan that has all those pebbles mm-hmm. there, not mm-hmm. breadcrumbs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The pebbles, you can rearrange those pebbles throughout your life, but they will get you either back home or to where you're going. Gotcha. And so in that case, if everyone says, we have a little family trust, we know what's going on for whatever you've accumulated in your life, 
then you during your life with your spouse if you're married, and then afterward, that trust says, when we're both gone, here's what we want you to do. Okay. And you appoint somebody, mm-hmm. whether it's your children or your relatives or a trustee like me. Mm-hmm. You appoint someone, and when you die, no more change in that trust. Okay? Um, for the most part, no more change in that trust. So it basically becomes the law of the land for this little company you created. That's right. Mm. That's right. So if that trust then says, okay, the next thing we do is we take everything we've put in this little company mm-hmm. and we divide it up, we sell it, we divide it up, we give it off to the kids, okay. and they go do their thing. Okay. You can do that. Okay. Right? Now, what they do with it is up to them. Hey. What about for those of us that want to be a little bit more controlling? <laughs> that was Bubba, and, and, not Greg. And, and really controlling <laughs> from the grave, so to speak. Right. So Bubba makes a great point. So there are parents, let's say, that say, give it off to the kids. I'm not going to control from beyond. What happens to them happens. So that's option A. That's option A. Bubba wants Easy. option B. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Option B. And I lean a little right of Attila the Hun. <laughs> <laughs> which is what I like because that gives me a long-term job. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so option B, you can look at those kids and let's just say you're a young couple. Let's just start at the beginning of that. And you have kids who you have no idea what's going to happen. Step one is you tell your trustees, keep everything in one pot and run it just like we would if we were the parents. Because you as parents don't say, well, if I give that child braces, I've got to give that child a new bike. Mm-hmm. You just spend the money where the money mm-hmm. needs to be made. So what the first step is what we call a pot trust. It all stays in one pot, okay? Mm-hmm. Hopefully not to boil anyone. <laughs> right. But it all, oh, that was a spoiler alert. <laughs> it all stays in one pot. And the trustee uses that for the kids when needed to get them reared. Okay. All right? That's, that, that's, that's where we go because that's what the parents would do. But then that trust can build everything from reasonably giving them some support and then maybe giving them money at 25 years old or 30 years old or 50 years old, all the way to the Attila the Hun uh, approach, mm-hmm. which is you will get some of this money when you need it and show that mm-hmm. you need it during your life, provided you are a productive person and have carried on the mission of this family. Right. All right. I mean, that's an extreme example, Mm -hmm. but there are trusts that do that. Mm -hmm. And those trusts sometimes work wonderfully for children who say, I'm going to work as hard as my parents did to do this, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to make sure that outside of this trust, I also build something I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. So, Bubba, what I would say about the power of trust and what people should take as they walk into their attorney's offices is there is no cookie cutter answer to any family and there's no cookie cutter answer to any trust. Mm. So don't be afraid to walk in and say, I see what you have on paper there, but my child is like this Mm. or his sister is like that. And I want to dig in and write the instructions for them to the way I can live with it, Mm -hmm. no matter how lenient it is or how strict it is. All right. So if, if you do this um, and you say, you know, I, I, I think that, that, that uh, trust thing and that uh, revocable thing while I'm alive sounds good, where do the instructions about the guardianship of Hansel and Gretel go? 
how do you how do you handle it? Because it seems to me like this pot you've been talking about, this company that we're creating, seems to be mostly concentrated on the financial assets. Mm -hmm. All right. So what about those spiritual, practical, physical rearing of the children? How, is that sure. done in a trust, or is it done as an in an accompanying will? Work me through that. Sure, sure. That's a great question, Greg. So. Any time a family puts together an estate plan mm -hmm. with any level of assets, the trust is one piece. Okay. okay. And you're absolutely right. The trust says everything that we have, the stuff, mm. will be handled in this manner. The trust can answer part of your question. Okay. Oftentimes when I have a trust brought to me and I read it or my team reads it and we say, do we understand what mom and dad really want? Mm. The trust can have language which will say, we encourage philanthropy. Okay. Our charities are A, B, and C. We want them to support this. So it can say, be productive, and if you're productive and you're good people, so it gives some instruction to them in terms of their, uh, their choices and their spirituality and whatever else it is that they get to, that they get to enhance in their lives. So mm -hmm. trust is number one. Number two, a trust should always be accompanied by a will. Okay. okay. The will will do two things, basically. Okay. On the stuff side, mm -hmm. anything that wasn't put in the trust during life gets put into the trust if we need to. It's called a pour-over will or a backup will. Okay. What the will also does is the guardianship. It says, if I pass away, my wife passes away, her husband passes away, and I have little ones, mm -hmm. under age 18 little ones, mm -hmm. here's who I want to rear them. Okay. okay? So that's where you tell the world these are the people who will raise my kids, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, the third place I would give you is this. I like, within reason, for people to give us letters of intention and to sit down and write something. It's not a legal document, okay. but it can say, here's my instructions on if I had, if I was sitting in the room and had to give you <laughs> some uh, feedback on how to raise my kids oh, right? really? or to how to raise my kids and spend my money on them. Mm -hmm. This is how I do it. That can be controversial in the legal world sometimes mm -hmm. because we get concerned whether it has, uh, you know, the sort of the, the hair around it that causes a legal dispute, mm -hmm. right? But there are ways to write letters of intentions that don't, uh, don't sort of confuse what the trust is supposed to do, confuse what the will is supposed to do, but give all of us, the advisors that they trust, a little more color as to what mom and dad really meant. So okay. three different ways I like to see that done. All right. And if we, if you were talking to the original mom of Hansel and Gretel, you would have said, hey, here's the house everybody seems to be coming back to, so it seems to have some sort of connection with everybody. All right, so we've got some assets here to talk about in this trust, but we also have these two little ones, so we need to talk about that in the will over here and a guardianship. So now I've created two jobs. I've created a trustee job to take care of the stuff inside this company and this pot, and I've created a job of guardianship, right? And so when we come back, I want to talk about 
Uh, are those the same job? Are they the same people? What are the qualifications or some a attitudes you need to look for in those people about guardians and also about trustees from the point of view of the Advisors Roundtable on Super Talk Radio? Hang in there with us. Welcome back to the Advisors Roundtable. Certified Financial Planners Cooley and Levis with you here on Super Talk Radio today. We're pleased to have with us Anne Rosevere from the Dunham Trust Company. And we've been talking about creating this trust and, and also the will because we got uh, the guardianships of the children and, and instructions. And so let's talk about the jobs. All right. So a trustee, somebody when I'm not here, is going to manage this money based on the law of the land that I wrote in the trust document. Who's qualified to do that? Thanks, Greg. So the team that you surround yourself is really key. Mm. You have to trust them. Mm. Right? And the trustee is one of those roles. Okay. They are not the end-all, be-all of your plan. Mm -hmm. okay? And so when you say, who's qualified to do that? It's different for every family. Mm. It depends on who they are, what their family makeup is in their children, and what they have. Mm. Now, a trustee needs to be someone, A, that you trust. That should go without saying, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But a trustee might be a child or a group of children. That can become complex and a little bit controversy sometimes. Mm -hmm. A trustee can be a family friend. But remember, they've got their own lives going on, and you better make sure they have the dedication to yours. Mm -hmm. A trustee sometimes is a CPA or an attorney. But in today's world, uh, and of course, being a trustee and a former, I'm not a former attorney, I'm still an attorney, <laughs> but uh, being an attorney who, who lives on the side of the table where the trustee lives, uh, I really tell people to seriously consider using someone who's been trained to understand what a trustee is. Trustees are regulated by uh, state law, okay. right? Professional okay. trustees. Uh, they are audited. They have oversight in every state, depending on where they are. Mine, of course, is Nevada. Mm -hmm. And the trustee understands that they have to balance the uh, various roles that come about. Number one is they have to know what mom and dad's wishes are, and they have to understand those and be uh, firm but reasonable in how they apply them. They have, to be, uh, they have to understand investment and rely on their partners, their financial advisor partners, and they have to be able to say to those financial advisors, I follow what we call the prudent investor rule. Okay. We are not out there swinging for the fences when we're hired to keep a family's money intact to raise children mm -hmm. or to create legacy and foundation and, uh, you know, and generational wealth. Mm -hmm. So they have to be able to apply the prudent investor rule, which is something you could Google if you right. wanted to, right? <laughs> While you're looking up Hansel and Gretel, right? And they, exactly. <laughs> and they also have to be able to look at one, two, three, four, however many beneficiaries there are, mm. and say, we owe a duty to that person, Absolutely. right? And when they're balancing mom and dad's wishes, the prudent investor rule, and the duty to these children, mm -hmm. right, that takes training, right? right? And that takes the ability to move away from the situation and say, how do I juggle all of this so it comes out in the best possible way 
and keeps the generational wealth around as long as possible Mm -hmm. and doesn't get swayed Mm -hmm. by the things like this beneficiary wants a fancy car, right? (laughs) That beneficiary might have a a spouse that we're concerned about who keeps coming back to the, Mm -hmm. you know, to to the, to the trough. Mm -hmm. Those are all the things that, that trustees are held accountable to do and have just enough separation from the family that maybe best friend or child or sister-in-law doesn't have. Well, I think you make a good point there because I've seen a number of people and talked to a number of people about a trustee uh, for their trust or as they're contemplating having a trust who's going to manage this pot or this company. And they say, well, you know, my brother-in-law is a CPA. I really trust him. He's always done my taxes. Uh, I've watched him go to church with him, whatever. I, I can trust him. I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. There are a number of issues there, though. First of all, maybe he does have a heart, which means that he may be a softie to one of my children who, you know, she can be manipulative, let me tell you. (laughs) The other thing is, am I assured he's going to live forever? Right. You know? Right. Right? A trust company Mm -hmm. lives forever, right? Or for some unforeseen reason it doesn't mm-hmm. there's a mechanism where the trusts are not left out in the cold right. right that that legally they have to be taken care of right and uh and it's a very i, I get this question a lot that what happens if you're gone what happens mm-hmm. if this trust company quote unquote goes under right mm-hmm. well there there are a lot of things that happen before that very extreme example would occur mm-hmm. trust companies or professional trustees don't die because just like that trust is a little company, mm-hmm. the trustee that's a professional mm-hmm. is a company that has a succession plan. Mm-hmm. And if that trust officer leaves, there should be a team mm-hmm. that is able to transition right. right with that. We see that all the time where people are very concerned because their trust officer leaves mm-hmm. and that was the person who knew them. That's a whole other part of being a professional trustee. And it's a difficult job. We don't always get it perfectly. Mm-hmm. That if a trust officer is not there anymore, how do we make sure the family still feels like their trustee knows them? Well, Bubba and I see this all the time when it comes to people's assets. Um, they've been working all their life for this. And we've had them tell us, Bubba, this is everything I have. When they write that check and put that money in a trust or in an investment account or whatever, they're trusting you. And when you're not there... Uh, they need to have some assurances that somebody else is going to be right. like you. Right. And that's where the conversation between the guardian mm-hmm. and the trustee becomes really important. Mm-hmm. Right? right. So if you decided that your CPA brother mm-hmm. also is going to rear your children and he's also the trustee of their money, mm-hmm. okay, that might work. That's a big dad role, mm-hmm. right? But what happens as those children age and your trust says, that they are to be supported at age 25, 30, Mm -hmm. 35. Mm -hmm. And he's now looking at adults Mm -hmm. and they're saying, I know best for me. (laughs) Give him a break. Let Mm -hmm. him have a trustee run the money and he can be the surrogate dad, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so that you have even more strength on your team so that he's like, I understand these children. Mm -hmm. I know how they operate. I I had to work with them and now I have a 28-year-old who wants that fancy car. Let's go make the trustee the bad guy on that one. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And as you said, you're asking them to be Superman 
If you're asking somebody to run the money, but also try to have a relationship with all of the beneficiary, all of the children, and know them and deal with them and communicate with them, it could be a job. Like, take hours of your day. Right. And, and as we always say, make sure you still want to sit down at Thanksgiving together. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah. All right. So uh, before we leave Hansel and Gretel and before we, we leave the discussion about uh, guardians, uh, your experience of years of doing this, being in the trust business, estate planning business, if Bubba's thinking about redoing his will and he's thinking about looking for guardians, characteristics of somebody not to run the money, Somebody to be there and, and, and to surrogate dad and make sure they do their homework and make sure that, that they follow certain incentives and, and, and try to step in for him. Are there characteristics that you would uh, tell me I need to look for in, in a guardian or a set of guardians, a husband, wife, however you think it would be best handled, but uh, in your experience, certain things you ought to look for? For guardian of your children, I advise people to not think about the money because mm. there's one thing you want for the guardian of your children, right? Mm. You want the people that mirror your values and your stability, hopefully your community, and don't uproot children and send them across mm -hmm. the country because you only have one sister, oh, right? Oh, boy. I mean, That's that, a it, great I, point. I, I mean, and those are things that people are afraid to say. They always believe that the right thing for children is purely to be with family. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is. Most of the time it is, okay. right? But I would say that if you're uh, one of your listeners and they're a couple with, with minor children in this area and they're thinking, if something happens, where do the kids go? Yeah. Think about who you want to feed them breakfast, who you want them to be at their sporting events, who's going to be there to truly love them. Right. Okay? That's number one. Right. Then we back up and say, are those also the people who should be in control of the finances that are raising these kids? It might be yes. Mm. But it might be no. And then that's where you build that team and you layer up so that we have our guardians taking care of these little ones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we have a trustee behind them giving them support, telling them, don't worry. Telling them, we're working with, you know, we're working with Khalila Base. We've got this down. Mm -hmm. We have the money surrounding what you have to do because you just got hit with a big responsibility. Mm -hmm. Did you ever? Yeah. So my view of that is, Think about who you want to be parenting. Mm -hmm. Don't get confused about the money. There's a backup plan for that right. in the advisors you put together. And, you know, we've had Cassandra Decker, our, our resident counselor, on talking about this before. And she says that one of the things she advises here is to think about it from the point of view of the children. Mm -hmm. Because if we're doing this, if we're looking for a guardian, they don't have mom or dad. Correct. Right? Right. And from their point of view, their life has just exploded. And your point about picking them up and moving them out of their school and their little league and, and their soccer coach and their church and whatever support system they've had would be another 
trauma. Much, mm. Very much so. We're, we're up against a break here from the Advisors Roundtable. Hang in there with us as we continue to discuss estate planning and trust with Ann Rosevear. Thanks a lot for being with us. Thanks a lot for joining us again here at the Advisors Roundtable with Greg Cooley and Bubba Labus, Certified Financial Planners, and today our special guest, Ann Rosevear, who heads up the Dunham Trust Company. So tell me a little bit, Ann. <laughs> let, me, let me interrupt real quick mm-hmm. because uh, Ann said something in one of the prior segments about letters of intention, which I think was really important. And the reason I say that is because many times when a client establishes a trust or, or their estate plan, et cetera, et cetera, it really falls back to the financial advisor or the attorney who, who drafted that to give the intentions uh, that were really meant by those documents, right? So if you don't have a detailed document uh, or something like that, then then you don't really have the instructions or the intent to go along with it. Financial advisors, just as clients, don't live forever, right? Correct. So if you're talking about a true legacy type thing, something that's going to go on for 365 years or, you know, uh, in the state of Mississippi, I think the laws of perpetuity are, are the, the, the life of the longest living beneficiary plus 21 years. That's right. Right? Um, <clears throat> But that's going to be beyond my lifetime in many cases, right? So the financial advisor used to kind of fill that void in that role to say, you know, I knew your parents. I, I knew your grandparents. This, this is what they intended. This is what they wanted for you, et cetera, et cetera. But the, those letters of intention, I think, are really important to go along with that. I think they are. And like I said earlier, they can sometimes be controversial, particularly if an attorney says, don't mm-hmm. write something that's going to land us in a courtroom, right? Mm-hmm. What if it looks different than the trust? There are ways to deal with that. Sure. And I think particularly with the financial advisors who are normally the first call and mm-hmm. people think it's the attorney or the CPA, but often it's the person who's right there in front of your right. money. Mm-hmm. Uh, sharing your intentions about your children in particular or your charitable intentions or your community mm-hmm. with your advisors who live right in that community, really important. And putting it in writing is fine. Yeah. You know, and if there's a question about whether or not those letters of intention might cause a conflict, we'll take a look at them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it is it is just it, it's an extra roadmap that it doesn't don't be intimidated. It doesn't take long to do and it can be written in your own hand if you need to, mm-hmm. because it's not a legal document. Yeah. That's a good extra step to take to really help us, to help mm-hmm. your team do what you asked. And you can update those over time. Sure. Right? You sure. know, you do one five years later, the kids are older, or that charity that you were supporting, uh, it's getting Bill Gates money now, or it, uh, you know, the, the executive director has gone on and you're not as fired up about that charity. You can just update them. It's, it's not like it's a one and done irrevocable thing, right? And I would just say, don't obsess about it mm. uh it's you know it's hard to write what your intentions are right it's hard to write your intentions for the day over coffee in the morning sometimes mm. but don't obsess over it know that if you can do it and you're comfortable great if for some reason you can't and you're a verbal person or you just like your relationships we still know what to do the advisors mm-hmm. and the trustees we still know what to do within within limits but it really is the, the frosting on the cake. Yeah. Mm, very good point. So uh, you're there at Dunham Trust Company. Why don't you just do this on your own? Why are you associated with Dunham Trust Company or any company? And as an estate planner and an attorney, can't you do this role and, or to a certain extent, 
fulfill this role without being associated with a company? <laughs> you can, of course, mm -hmm. and some attorneys do. Uh, I practiced in the area for a couple, almost a couple of decades before this company came to me and said, how would you like to run this company? And I gave it some real thought. Mm -hmm. uh, what I ended up realizing personally is moving to the other side of the table where the attorney pushes the trust across to you and says, make sure this works mm -hmm. for this family mm -hmm. for as long as you can. That's where I found my real passion. Okay. And so uh, you have to have the, the, the art of putting those legal documents together and hearing what the folks say. But to get away from being the attorney and be the trustee and saying, I am here to serve this family for as many decades, for as many half centuries or maybe longer that I can before I pass this on, that's where the real value of being a trustee and giving a family the security and the comfort to know that they have done right mm. in that planning, right? Okay. That right. they've really laid out the framework. Um, I, I, I find nothing more rewarding than watching my teams across uh, work with families across the country and solve all those little problems and bring a perspective to the situation and help elevate the children or transition the businesses mm -hmm. or keep everything flowing so it doesn't stop when the client stops. Right. And so to do that, you have to have a team? You do. How, mm -hmm. how many people do you have on your team? How many offices around the country? Uh, give me a, a concept of how the Dunham Trust Company is structured. Sure. So, so Dunham Trust Company, uh, I have about uh, 25, 26 people that work directly for me. Mm -hmm. And they are based in our Nevada offices. Okay. And there's a whole other reason why we chose Nevada <laughs> than I'm from there. But it's sure. a, there's a lot of different rules. Uh, Nevada loves trusts. Okay. And we run all sorts of trusts and have good trust laws. Gotcha. Uh, but I have about uh, 26 people there. Dunham, the family of Dunham, mm -hmm. uh, we have, uh, I think, 70, 80 people. Mm -hmm. So we are a, a smaller trust company, and we have a, a, an associate company. And we have uh, people who run back offices and write checks and do compliance and work with regulators. Mm -hmm. And then we have these wonderful people, uh, regional directors around the country, mm -hmm. who go out and they meet with financial advisors and their clients and attorneys. And those folks go out and say, let me help solve a problem. Let me see if Dunham can help. Uh, maybe it's something as simple as this person needs an estate plan? Mm -hmm. Can we give you some feedback? Can we talk to your attorneys? Sometimes it's they have a multi-million dollar business that needs to be sold mm -hmm. and we're going to structure trusts around that to make it a better transition. Okay. So uh, we run, and you can see this all on our on our websites, uh, we run overall about four and a half billion dollars worth of assets mm -hmm. in all forms. It comes in money, it comes in land, it comes in farms and ranches and mineral rights and real estate. Uh, even in the world of crypto, right? <laughs> right. So, so we have, just because just like people, they have lots of different things, and sure. so we trustee that for them. Okay. And then I would just finish that by saying, but no matter how large uh, and complex it might be, or it may be a pretty straightforward vanilla uh, trust relationship, my goal 
it, with my teams is to truly have an officer and an associate uh, who work with the financial advisors, who know the family CPAs, mm-hmm. and we, we pick up a trustee and we put it in the middle of that hub, okay. right, with the financial advisor, and we create that team wherever it might be. Okay. So how many attorneys are part of this team? How many attorneys do you have working for you to help uh, make sure that all this can get done? Because you can't be everything to every, uh, you know, only so many hours in a day, right? Right. And so uh, it's a great question, Greg, because we sometimes get confused that we are also the attorneys. Right, right. I do have attorneys that work for me, okay, okay, as well as being one myself. Mm -hmm. And that lends, in my view, a level of quality to how we can put a trusty brain to a to a task but also have that attorney background that's exactly right? the reason i asked the question because yeah. many times in a trust department you don't have an attorney in there no and you know uh, uh, everybody in the world is trying to get away from attorneys or they act like they do or are, are until they need one right, right? <laughs> and sometimes i just need an attorney to read something that some other attorney wrote mm-hmm. right and so I, I think it is a selling tool about Dunn Trust Company that you you have attorneys on staff that understand all the rules. Sure. We wear our trustee hat, but we apply our trust our, our attorney knowledge. And sometimes, I appreciate you saying that, mm-hmm. but sometimes having a good, solid trust officer who's not an attorney, help too. who's been <laughs> on the front lines, is the right person to read it because they say, I've been in that situation. Let's get you out of it before it starts. Yeah, and, and I like the fact that you have, you offer both. You know, not not just an attorney who's going to get all nerdy with it, but also somebody who can get nerdy with it if it gets technical, right? I can get nerdy if you need <laughs> to. <laughs> also, Dunham Trust Company, in, in addition to this over $4 billion of, of assets there, um, one of the things I, I really appreciate about it is that you guys are willing to get out of your office. And we're very appreciative to you and Jeffrey and Eugene and all those people who come in and get involved in our practice, but also get to know our people. And from the po- point of view of Cooley and Labus and our clients and the Advisors Roundtable, I want to say thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. It's my honor. I'm really, really happy to be here. And uh That's Anne Rosevear with Dunham Trust Company. We thank you for listening. We hope we helped you today. See you again at the Advisors Roundtable. Discussion and content expressed by the host of the Advisors Roundtable are intended to be received as news, educational, and entertainment or unit items and are not to be accepted by the listener as legal, investment, insurance, or tax advice. Opinions and views will be expressed by guests of the Advisors Roundtable, and those opinions and views are those of the guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Advisors Roundtable host or any of its affiliated radio stations. All information provided is educational in nature and is not intended to be acted upon without first consulting the 
appropriately licensed professional of your choosing. Before acting upon any information obtained during an advisor's roundtable broadcast, an individual should understand matters are extremely tax-specific and require advice tailored to individual facts and needs. Certified financial planners Greg Cooley and Andrew Labus are registered representatives of S.A. Stone Wealth Management Incorporated. Securities offered through S.A. Stone Wealth Management Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services offered through Ignite Planters, LLC. Ignite Planters, LLC is not affiliated with S.A. Stone Wealth Management Incorporated.